Bring it in a bonus episode, middle of the week uh, here on the read option. We are in the middle of football season. So naturally football, as I've said many times on this pod is king, but the NBA is starting, And so it would be a mistake on my part to not at least have some sort of NBA content. Um, you know, the beginning part of the season, it's not going to get talked about, you know, it's going to kind of get, thrown under, you know, the, the, the giant aura that is the NFL and football season and college football and everything else. And we typically don't get full blown into basketball as fans until I would say Christmas. The Christmas games are always a big deal. They're always a, a big, you know, everyone's kind of unpacking their presents and hang out with family and day drinking and eating great food. And, you know, you throw NBA basketball on in the background. And then people slowly start to pick it up until, uh, you know, the Super Bowl wraps. And then it's like, all right, well, we don't have football now, so I guess we're switching over to basketball full time. But again, I wanted to put out some sort of content here and uh, I am by myself. It's just me. And the NBA has been a crazy whirlwind uh, over the last two years, you know, going back to the start of the pandemic, basically, you know, this is the first time since the uh, 2018, 2019 season that we're going to have a full 82 game season. And to think about what that season looked like, you know, Kevin Durant was still on the Warriors. Uh, LeBron James was sitting out games and missed more games than he'd ever missed in his first year with the Los Angeles Lakers. So a lot has changed in that time. You know, Kyrie Irving was in Boston, which is insane to think about. And it looked like, hey, we're either this is going to be KD's last year in Golden State. You know, everyone remembers the Draymond and KD spat. So there were there were so much going on in the NBA. And now between the pandemic, the, sh- the bubble that then led, you know, to LeBron and AD winning a title and, and everything throughout the pandemic to then, I mean, just think about the bubble even. You know, Jimmy Butler in Miami, uh, Jimmy Butler in Philly, the Kawhi shot happened in 2018, 2019, right? Like all of these things had happened since the last time we had a, a full NBA season. And I'm not going to lie. I'm excited. I'm excited for this year because similar to last season, it really feels like anybody can win this championship. And we're going to go through the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference. We're not going to dwell on some of the, you know, the bottom teams. You know, we'll touch on a couple of things to get excited about for, for some of the lower ranked teams and uh, some teams that aren't, let's, we'll put it this way, don't have a whole lot of expectations. <laughs> but uh, we'll go through both conferences and do that. And the first thing, though, before we get into East, West predictions, season preview, all that kind of stuff, is we have to talk about this Ben Simmons situation, and I want to touch on Kyrie Irving as well. And so we'll start with Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons is a broken player, okay? From top to bottom, the dude is broken. And it's sad as somebody who supported him for so long. I know I said on the pod a couple weeks ago, you know, to all the Ben Simmons, the people I argue Ben Simmons with, 
for all of those years, you know, I'm sorry, I was wrong, hands up. Because I still, when I look at Ben Simmons, though, I still see a guy with limitless upside, a guy who has the upside of being the best player in the NBA if he could ever form a jump shot. And I argued forever, and I still stand by a lot of what my argument was, which is we don't appreciate enough what Ben Simmons does on an elite level, being arguably the best on-ball defender in the NBA, creating more wide-open three-pointers than any, any other player in the NBA, average being in the top five in assists over the last four years, right? This is a guy who has unlimited, unlimited upside, but just refused to add things to his game to make himself a better player. And throughout all of this, Philadelphia stood by this guy. And, well, for the most part, all right, because that, that narrative on Philly, on Sixers Twitter, ha has gone all over the place, right? Philly's always stood with you. And I think most diehards are. You know, most diehards stood with Ben Simmons and said, hey, like, I can see upside. Just start shooting the ball more, dude. Like, you're so good at so many things. Just start shooting the ball more, dude. And it, it turned into frustration. But I also argued with many people who absolutely hated Ben Simmons. And I think particularly my one of my best friends from home, my buddy John. You know, John couldn't stand it. And it was about his personality. And it was to him, it was an arrogance to Ben Simmons. You know, it was this holier than thou. I don't need to take jump shots because I'm so good. And I don't necessarily think that's it. I do think he carries a certain vibrato with him. I, I do think he, he thinks of himself as a guy who is a top 10, top 20 player in the NBA. And at times, he's been that. At times, he's been that productive. He's played that well in the defensive end. But the lack of development, the lack of putting in the work. We just saw an all-time Philadelphia sports athlete get traded this week in Zach Ertz. And we talked about that on Tuesday's pod, about how Zach Ertz, and in his goodbye press conference and, and the letter he wrote, you know, he talked about what it takes to be successful in Philadelphia. And, and to sum up the quote, it's giving everything you have to an organization, to the city, to the people, to the fans, not for yourself, doing it for the team, being that guy. And look, some people would argue that's an old school mentality. But guess what? Philly's an old school blue collar town, right? That is that is what Philly sports fans want they want guys to put in the work it's one of the reasons why people love Joel Embiid it's one of the reasons why people love Jimmy Butler when he was here for half of the season because they could sense that and I think there was a certain lack of energy in that side of it you know the lack of work and effort and all these things that we wanted to see out of Ben Simmons that ultimately never showed up and now we're in this situation where Ben Simmons was as bad as he's been as a Sixer in the playoffs, particularly against the Atlanta Hawks. Everyone knows the pass, right? The one that he gave up to uh, Matisse Thibel when he was right underneath the basket. And then obviously, you know, kind of choking away those free throws. But from all the inside NBA circles and, and people, you know, the couple of NBA people I know uh, and, and a few of the people who, you know, report on this for a living, you know, you see the Instagram posts of Ben Simmons taking threes and taking long jump shots and all this stuff. But behind the scenes, behind the social media aspect, he's not someone who puts in the work, the free throw shooting, going in and taking a thousand free throws every single morning before practice. You know, we, that kind of stuff we never saw 
or, or the teams and, and the people around the league never saw from Ben Simmons, but you would see the Instagram of him lifting and, you know, the emoji with the smoke coming out of his nose, you know, being like back at it again, you know, and, and, and that kind of stuff on the surface level to fans makes it think like, oh yeah, this guy's putting the work. But the fact of the matter is he never did. He never did. And so when this series against Atlanta went south, Ben Simmons, instead of owning what he did wrong, owning his shortcomings, Ben Simmons sat there and decided, I'm going to take my ball and I'm going to go home. And he tried to do something that nobody in the history of the NBA has done, which is with four years left on his contract, an extension that Philly gave him, a max deal that the team and the organization showed faith in this guy. He asked for a trade, refused to come here, said he was never going to play in Philadelphia again, got his entire apartment, moved out, called up a company, said, move all my shit, get it out of this place. I'm never coming back to Philly. And it showed a complete lack of understanding on his part and of clutch as to the lack of leverage that they had in this situation, which is none. They had zero, zilch, nada. And so inevitably, Ben Simmons was going to get two payments, basically half of his salary, two $8.5 million payments before the season started. One hit on August 1st, and the second one was due to hit a couple of weeks ago. Well, the first one went through. But then the Sixers said, hey, you know what? Actually, we're not going to pay you. We're not going to pay you at all. We're going to take that money. We're going to put it in escrow. And every time that you miss a game, you're fine for missing that game is coming out of that account. And sure enough, a week later, Ben Simmons randomly shows up in Philadelphia to take his COVID test. Doesn't tell the front office, doesn't tell his teammates, doesn't tell anybody. He just showed up to the arena before their last preseason or their second to last preseason game and said, give me a COVID test. I'm here. Probably staying in some hotel. Because, again, he doesn't have an apartment in Philadelphia anymore. Those are the kind of actions that sent off, if, if there weren't enough red flags already, that sent off fire alarms across the NBA. Because this is, this is a legitimately unprecedented behavior. And I want to be somewhat sensitive here and, and at least show both sides when it comes to Ben Simmons. Because Ben Simmons... For all of this stuff, all of the heat he's gotten has to be going through some heavy pressure. I think the fact that Joel was the the first son of Philadelphia, the first son of this Sixers team, he was literally nicknamed the process. I think that always weighed on him. We saw the same thing happen when Kevin Durant went to Golden State. Kevin Durant was the best player in the world. He was the best player on that team, despite the fact that Steph Curry was there. And guess what? That was always going to be Steph Curry's team, just like this is always going to be Joel Embiid's team, even if, and in my opinion, still Ben Simmons, with everything he can do, still has higher upside and isn't a big man with an injury history like Joel Embiid, not to take anything away from how incredible and dominant and unbelievable Joel Embiid is, because Embiid is unbelievable. He's ridiculously good. And, you know, I think at that point, you're almost splitting hairs, but a 6'10", 6'11", point guard with his athleticism, with his defense, if you just if he could shoot 35% from three and just took jump shots, 
he'd be a top five player in the league. But he doesn't do that. And he never worked on it to get better. So now we're at a point where yesterday in practice, Tuesday afternoon, Ben Simmons gets kicked out of practice. He shows up in sweatpants with a cell phone in his pocket, refuses to participate in a defensive drill. And Doc Rivers says, just get out, dude. If you don't want to be here, go home. And he did. And he left. And then I saw a tweet last night of a Philly reporter from a quote from Joel Embiid after the practice where Embiid goes, I don't care about that man. He clearly doesn't care. He does whatever he wants. I don't care about that man. And I thought, was it, I don't care about that comma man you know not like referring to ben simmons and then i listened to the i I found the video and listened to it and no he said i don't care about that man he's he does whatever he wants i don't care about that man and to dwell and beats credit like good for you dude because as someone who has spent literally years of my life defending ben simmons and even have has i've wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt to some degree I want to, I want to, maybe it's just, I'm, I'm too forgiving of a person. I think my therapist would probably agree with that. I wanted to see Ben Simmons bounce back. I wanted to see Ben Simmons come in and if anything else say, Hey, I'm going to show up. I'm going to increase my trade value. Some teams actually want to trade for me. And instead his mindset was, I don't know the Sixers, anything. Me playing hard is only going to help them. I don't want to help them. But he went so far in that direction that there are teams that, are, that were interested in Ben Simmons that are no longer going to be. And I want to be sensitive to a degree because I think there's a good chance he's struggling with something. There's a lot of stuff documented about his family situation that is rough. The LSU experience was rough. The pressure of being a number one pick is rough. The pressure of being a number one pick and then not even being the favorite son of an organization is rough. But he's gone about it in such an immature and, and frankly, just kind of embarrassing way that I don't think there's anything at this point that can really get me to empathize with him the way that I normally would with an athlete. And at the end of the day, he's a person. And if he needs to go and work on his mental health, if he needs to take a break from basketball, he should do it. Absolutely, he should do it. Instead of doing what he's currently doing, which is destroying his reputation in the NBA. And if he wants to be an NBA player, then be the NBA player, man. Go put up the work. Don't worry about dating Kylie Jenner. Don't worry about whatever Devin Booker and Kylie Jenner are up to. Just go. Be that dude. Be the dude that you pretend to be on social media. Because at this point, to quote the, quote the viral TikTok that went on around this summer, you're not that guy, pal. You're not. From one disgruntled NBA player to another, Kyrie Irving. And this is going to kick off our uh, – actually, we'll, we'll take a break – uh, before we get into the previews, but the Kyrie Irving situation is bizarre. And, I, and we talked about it a little bit on, on Tuesday's pod, Scotty and I, but Kyrie Irving just deciding like, Hey, I'm not getting this vaccine, not because I don't believe in the vaccine, but because I don't believe it's right that people are losing their jobs over it. 
basically trying to grandstand, you know, be, be the hero for the average class working man. And I have no clue how this is going to turn out because everything with the pandemic right now, we just saw Nick Rolovich get fired at Washington state, the head coach for refusing to get the vaccine. I don't see a world where an unvaccinated Kyrie Irving plays really at all for Brooklyn. If I had to guess, he's not going to do it in New York. So maybe when they play Houston or the Orlando Magic or the Miami Heat or, you know, in a state where, you know, those kinds of rules aren't in effect, maybe, maybe he'll be able to, to get on the floor. But at that point, from a strictly basketball perspective, what does that make the Brooklyn Nets? Now, I still think they can win it all just with Kevin Durant and James Hart. You know, we're not looking around and seeing any, you know, you know, power threes in the NBA right now. No, there's no real super teams. The closest thing we have, and not even close thing it is when all three of them there, is the Brooklyn Nets. But Kyrie's decision to not get vaccinated, you call it a personal decision, say you're going to do your own research, say you're doing it for the people who are losing their jobs over, that's fine. But what I would say to Kyrie is like, look, if it's their choice not to get vaccinated, then it's their choice to face the consequences of it. If that means you can't go, and this goes for everybody, if that means you can't go to concerts, you can't go to sporting events, can't go to certain restaurants, or you lose your job, then you do that. I, there are people that I know, people I worked with, who lost their job because they refused to get vaccinated. And at the end of the day, like if that's your decision, that's your decision. But to stand up there and say, hey, you know what, this is... This is wrong, what we're doing to people. I just, Kyrie's an enigma. He's one of the most fascinating people in sports. And what I've found with him over the years is that more and more, it's shedding a, a worse and worse light on himself. And that's just my opinion. There are probably tons of people. Clay Travis loves Kyrie Irving right now. The amount of content that Clay Travis and Outkick and the buffoons over there are getting out of this is out of this world. But I, I look at the situation and I just go, all right, man. I mean, I, he's, he's got to be losing money over this. He has to be. And literally, as I'm talking right now, I just got an ESPN update that Nick Rolovich, the Washington State head coach, is now going to try to sue Washington State over the firing. And I don't think he's going to win. I don't think he's going to win at all. So we'll see. We'll see how this turns out for the Brooklyn Nets. But I don't think it's going to be good. And even with that, the Brooklyn Nets are still going to win a lot of games, just strictly basketball-related. That is a really loaded roster. And signing Patty Mills for the veteran minimum is a steal. They don't need to worry about Kyrie. And I think for them, out of sight, out of mind. And ultimately, I think that's what's going to be best for the Nets, for Kevin Durant, for James Harden, for everybody in that organization. Because Kyrie's proven time after time, if there's one thing you can count on with Kyrie Irving, it's that he's going to be a distraction. The NBA is back. 
Tuesday night, we had our first games. Milwaukee Bucks got their championship rings, dope rings. Uh, there's a QR code in the middle. Of it. First of all, you can change it into a necklace, which I thought is a super power move. I always loved in the movie uh, Semi-Pro when Woody Harrelson's character would just wear the championship around his his neck, like a, like a necklace, and just put a, uh, a chain through it. And I thought, if I ever was talented enough or a good enough athlete or a coach or anything, not just a guy who rambles into a microphone, that I could win a championship ring, that's what I would do. Because I'm not a ring guy. Like, you can size me, do whatever. Like, it's just not going to look good on me. So give me it, put it around my neck, let me wear it as a necklace a few times a year, and that, that'll be that. Well, that's what the Bucks did, and they actually set it up so you can take off the ring part of it, and there's like a little flip in the back that's also diamond-encrusted. <laughs> you can slide a chain through, put it around your neck. It's cool, and there's a QR code in the inside, as I said a second ago, that when you scan it, pulls up like a championship video, which is just badass as hell. I'm a, I just I think that's phenomenal. And uh, the Bucks, I think coming into this season – Obviously, Ben Simmons and Kyrie Irving have been probably the two most talked about things in the NBA. But when you're just talking about basketball, the Bucs somehow have been overlooked. And I think because of last year, the injuries the Nets had, uh, the injury LeBron and AD had, the Bucs were cut. And it was also kind of a weird finals with the Bucs and the Suns. The Bucs were kind of looked at as like a, uh, a pseudo champ, like an asterisk champion, right? Like, oh, that's not like a real championship and, and i just mentioned about super teams in, in the open there if you look at milwaukee those their big three of Giannis, chris middleton and drew holiday that's a scary that's a scary top of your lineup all right Giannis is as driven of a guy as we have in the nba right now and when i look down the rest of the eastern conference i think there's there's not a team that they can't beat and yet, when you look at the betting sites like we were doing on Tuesday's pod, Brooklyn is still the number one team. That's the team the money's on. Brooklyn is a plus 250. Plus 250. That's insane. Like, that, that is as low of odds for a championship favor that we've seen since Golden State. And to me, the Eastern Conference whole NBA is not that one-sided leaning towards Brooklyn. With Kyrie, maybe. But you can't count on Kyrie at all. And whatever the distractions, everything else you have, like that's all going to play a role in this. So the Milwaukee Bucks are set up here with a really good chance to defend this title. I think another year of Drew Holiday back in that system, you know, and I was listening to Jackie McMullen a little bit earlier, and she made a great point, which I think is, is incredibly worth bringing up here, which was Drew Holiday had all these expectations coming into last year which was that if we don't win the title now, Drew Holiday didn't do enough. He was the one, ironically enough, that had the most pressure on him. Giannis was a two-time MVP. Chris Middleton was a multi-time All-Star. So at, at this point, like, there really wasn't much of an argument. Uh, the guy with the most pressure was Drew Holiday, being the third All-Star, being the third star on this team to get them to the title. And he did that in his first year, whether you want to discount the title or not which I don't. And so if I'm the Milwaukee Bucks, if I'm a Bucks fan, I'm excited. I'm ecstatic about this team because they're going to be good on both ends of the ball. Coach Bud has done a good job over the years about not playing and overplaying Giannis. 
And I guess that's the one concern. Can Giannis, you know, is, is there going to be injury? Can Giannis stay healthy? Or do we need to worry about any sort of injury there? So I like the Bucs. I think the Bucs are going to be the best team in the Eastern Conference. I think they're going to win the most games in the Eastern Conference. Uh, but I think probably even in the entire NBA, because the, the West, which has been so dominant for so many years, is a lot more wide open, which we'll get to them in a little bit. Uh, the Brooklyn Nets, we talked about it. Look, you have KD, you have James Harden. You get the arguably two best scorers in the NBA on the same team. But their bench is loaded. Nick Claxton was great last year as a rookie. He's just going to continue to get better. Blake Griffin showed this emergence. All of a sudden, he had something to play for. And you can you can bet, man. Like I, even watching the game last night between Milwaukee and Brooklyn, like Blake Griffin looks healthy. He's got some ups that we haven't seen in a couple of years. He threw down a great alley oop dunk, and he's a much better defender than we give him credit for. In addition to being a pseudo ball handler, right? Kyrie's a great has the best handles in the NBA. But he also can orchestrate an offense. This guy who's averaged eight to nine assists a game throughout multiple seasons in his career. Blake Griffin, if you're not going to have him, you have KD who's going to handle the ball. You have James Harden. So you don't have that third ball handler that, you know, allows James Harden to kind of pick and pop, that allows Kevin Durant to pick and pop if he needs to. They can, they can kind of play off of that. Blake Griffin can do that. He was a point forward when he was playing in Detroit. So you're going to be able to have a third guy there that even without Kyrie, that you can still let James Harden and KD kind of play off the ball, work off of screens, because you know uh, you know Blake Griffin's going to be able to handle the rock. And they also have Patty Mills, multi-time champion, super experienced player, came off of a great run in the Olympics this year with Australia, got him for super cheap. LaMarcus Aldridge coming back into the NBA after his heart scare last year, which uh, is, is great to see him back. So this team, and look, you shouldn't expect a lot out of LaMarcus Hawkins. Right? I'm not saying he's going to come in and average 20 a game like he's done you know, in his prime, but just as a veteran presence, as a guy, good locker room guy, guy people like in the NBA, very well respected around the league, having a LaMarcus Aldridge on your team is good. That team has depth, and I think it's a team that's worth being excited about. Uh, the next team I'd bring up would be the Philadelphia 76ers. The Ben Simmons question mark how all of that affects this team, that and or a Joel Embiid injury, you know, those are going to be the two biggest fears about this team. But to spin it in a positive light, if Ben Simmons just doesn't play, right, they just decided, you know what, because look, Friday, he got so, I, you know, after all of his spat and everything that happened to practice, he got a one-game suspension. So he's not going to play on Wednesday night in the home open or sorry, in, uh, in the season opener. Friday night is the home opener against the Brooklyn Nets, and he's supposedly going to play there, supposedly going to play there. If Ben Simmons walks out on the court on Friday night, I can't imagine what that crowd is going to do to him. Right? Like, this will be as ugly of a scene in Philadelphia for a guy who's being paid max player money. I, I and not to mention, couple that with the frustrations with the Eagles, frustrations with the Phillies. Like, Philly is a pent up city right now with a lot of aggression. It's going to be a full house. And not only is Ben Simmons going to get booed like no one I think I've ever seen, especially when you talk about your own players in Philly, and Philly's booed a lot of their own players. And Bede's going to get the biggest ovation he's ever gotten. And it's going to be so night and day. But again, trying to spin it positively. Let's say Ben Simmons doesn't play most of the games this year. I still like what they have. Because now it's the, it's the Joel Embiid show, right? It's 
you know, we're dumping it down to Embiid. Everyone else around him is going to get open looks. All right. You still have Matisse Thibel, who's going to be able to help out in a lot of the defensive stuff. I would expect him to start if Benson in games that Benson doesn't play. And he's going to be the primary defender. You still have the best, one of the best, one of the top two rim protectors in the NBA in Embiid, a guy who's just terrifying to go up against the paint. Guy's going to dominate every other big man. You still have Tobias Harris. All right. Tobias is going to be able to take a bigger step in this offense. And, in, you know, look, I think Tobias struggles when he has to be a third option. But if you're going to let him be number two behind Embiid, I think we're going to see a big season from Tobias Harris. And then on top of that, you're going to have a new point guard in Tyrese Maxey and a lights out shooter in Seth Curry. So that's starting lineup. Oh, yeah. And also Danny Green's there, too. Like there are guys in Philly. And Embiid's just going to be Embiid. So if Embiid stays healthy and Ben Simmons gets traded, doesn't play, whatever the deal with that is, I'm talking about the Sixers without Ben Simmons, Embiid's going to be on track for an MVP-type season because he's going to get so much volume in that offense and he's going to continue to be as unstoppable as he is. Like If he looks anything like he did last year. And I imagine knowing Embiid, he's just going to get better than what he was last year. So there is some reason to be optimistic here in Philly. Do I see them making the NBA finals? No, I don't. I, I could be totally wrong because look, the gray cloud is going to be hanging over them. The Ben Simmons shit is just, it's going to find its way into the bloodstream of the Sixers. But if they get to a point where they can move on from him, or if Ben Simmons decides to kind of grow up a little bit and, and give it his all here in Philly, you know, Philly, Philly can win some games. They're going to win a lot of games, but I just think it's going to be so hard to not be affected by what's happened with Benson. Uh, other teams in the East that I think, especially at the top here, Boston, this is a, this is kind of a big year for Boston, right? Jason Tatum. We know how we know the upside. We've seen him go off for 50 plus. We know the guy can score. We know the guy is a talented player, uh, but they need, to kind of show up here a little bit. They got a new coach, Brad Stevens moved up to the front office. Now he's the president of basketball operations. No more Danny Ainge. So what does Brad Stevens do in his first season in the front office? Their new coach is, a, again, a highly respected guy. He's spent years as an assistant. All the reports out of Boston are that the team has really bought into him. They re-upped Marcus Smart, so you got him coming back. And they gave an extension to Robert Williams, who at times has been really impressive. And then other times has been absolutely horrible. And there's been zero in between, zero consistency with Robert Williams. They signed uh, Jason Richardson. You know, I, I just, they need a big year and it needs to fall on the shoulders of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Other than that, you know, if those two guys are kind of where they were the last two years, which are really good players, all all-star caliber players, but neither one of them takes that superstar jump. Boston's probably going to be in the same boat that they've been in over the last two or three seasons, which is maybe a three seed, four seed, five seed, middle of the Eastern Conference, going to win a lot of games, going to lose some games that they shouldn't. I just don't like the roster around them. They bring back Al Horford, which is a good move. They get off of Kemba, who was sneaky, really bad for them last year. So we'll see. Again, like at this point in time, I don't really think we we know one way or the other whether Boston is going to be this 
juggernaut. They're definitely not juggernaut, but look, they have two all-star wings. And if Jason Tatum takes that jump to top 10 player in the league this year, I think they're probably going to end up the season as the three seed, given all of the uncertainty surrounding the Sixers right now. But if they kind of hang to where they've been, I don't know, Boston probably a four, maybe a five seed, because there's some other teams below them that could be frisky as well. After that, you start to hit uh, the only other team I would say that's kind of in that that upper echelon tier in the East. Well, there's two, the Atlanta Hawks and the Miami Heat. The Hawks coming off an unbelievable run to the Eastern Conference Finals, win multiple games against the eventual NBA champions. Trey Young takes a huge step forward. They bring back that same team. All right. Deep. They didn't have uh, a few guys throughout throughout the season. And I'm very curious to see how a team that goes on a run like that comes back. Right. How do you how do you bounce back after an un, improbable run as a four seed all the way to the NBA Eastern Conference Finals? Steal a couple games from Milwaukee, one of which was a blowout in Milwaukee. How do you come back from that? And are you going to still be that top tier level team? You know, are, are you are you going to take the jump where, hey, that wasn't just an anomaly, but this is who we are now. All right. You know, uh, Kevin Herter had some really, really impressive moments for Atlanta last year. Really impressive moments. And they just signed him up yesterday. Uh, you still have Clint Capella, who's coming back. Obviously, Trey Young's the centerpiece here, but it's everyone around them. Bogdanovich ended up being arguably the best steal uh, in free agency in, in 2020 going into last season. Uh, John Collins, they got signed up. You still have Gallinari there. Uh, but the big piece for them, also, you know, Lou Williams off the bench. I forgot Lou Williams is there. But the, the real important piece for them that I think can take them over the top is what do we see out of DeAndre Hunter this season? Because DeAndre Hunter basically didn't play all of last year, but is a lockdown wing defender, a really good 3 and D guy, right? Like he can, he can shoot the ball really well, but he's also just a smart basketball player. He comes from the, he comes from the UVA program, right? He's, he's the epitome of what Tony Bennett does at UVA, the school of Tony Bennett, which are just smart, cerebral basketball players who don't make a lot of mistakes. And I think just having a wing like that who can match up against some of the better players, the Jason Tatum, some of those other guys, that's going to help this team a lot because we know they're going to be able to score. We know that Trey Young's ability to, to get open looks, to hit it from anywhere on the court, but also sneak his way into the paint, set up Clint Capella is huge. John Collins took a step that I think many of us thought was possible, but we weren't sure if we were ever going to see. He took that step in the playoffs last year. So him coming back. Those are the two guys you have to watch out for here. John Collins and DeAndre Hunter. Gallo, look, he's going to he's gonna score the ball, right? But even coming off the bench, whether it's Kevin Herter, Solomon Hill, who isn't – you don't love the guy, but, you know, he's a decent guy to have off come off the bench. And then uh, Cam Reddish, DeLon Wright, Lou Williams, all three of those guys can score the buck, can, can score when, when they get opportunities. So this is a deep team. I expect the Hawks – to be a really good team. I expect them to challenge for the four seed. I expect them to challenge maybe even up for the three seed because they have the talent, but they have to keep the momentum going from what happened last season. The Miami Heat are kind of a contrast to what we see in Atlanta, which this team 
despite uh, with the exception of Bam Adebayo and Tyler Hero, Miami Heat are an older veteran team. They go out, they make the move to bring in Kyle, Kyle Lowry, and we'll see how he, Jimmy Butler, you know, how those two guys kind of work off each other. But for them, Tyler Hero needs to bounce back. Um, Duncan Robinson, one of the best jump shooters in the NBA. And then I'll throw in, you know, they also, I forgot they brought in Markeith Morris as well. But there's also one other variable with this team that I think can really kind of put them over the edge if we get a vintage kind of performance from this guy. And that is Victor Oladipo, right? People, I'm sure many people don't remember, like Victor Oladipo is on the Miami Heat. They made that trade last year, sent Kelly Olenek to Houston uh, and, and a couple of, I forget who all was involved in that trade, but they get this guy who then gets hurt. And I don't think he's going to be ready for the start of the season, but they got him on a ridiculous contract, $1.6 million this year. So if Victor Oladipo turns into the guy that he was in Indiana, watch out because a starting lineup of Kyle Lowry, Jimmy Butler, you have Bam Adebayo as your center. Tyler Hero is probably going to be in that mix. And then Duncan Robinson. And even if you don't end up starting, uh, you know, Tyler Hero, if it's Victor Oladipo, and then you're bringing Tyler Hero off the bench, uh, you have P.J. Tucker there who cannot score the ball at all. But just in terms of a, when you think of those Miami Heat guys at this stage in his career, I mean, P.J. Tucker didn't have to score in order for the, you know, the Bucks to win the title last year. And many, in many games, he didn't score at all. But the presence, the veteran leadership, all that stuff, it does matter, particularly with a team that has a couple of younger guys who already have played in NBA Finals, but the most unique NBA Finals we've ever had, which is in a bubble in front of no fans. Jimmy Butler's starting to get up there in age. Kyle Lowry's up there in age. And they got a young stud in Bam Adebayo, who, after having an awesome bubble, uh, and that whole season leading up to the bubble was, you know, all-star caliber guy. I think there's no question that if those two older veteran former all-stars and Jimmy Butler and Kyle Lowry, they both have enough left in the tank, but do they get everyone else around them to elevate their game? And that's going to be, I think the biggest question with the Atlanta Hawks and uh, we'll see what, how, or sorry, with the Miami heat, we'll, we'll see what the heat look like, but that's kind of your, your top, obviously your top tier is Milwaukee and Brooklyn. But then that Philly, Boston, Miami, Atlanta, that's kind of your next tier. And then the, the play-in slash lower end playoff teams there, you're looking at Chicago, you're looking at the Knicks, uh, Toronto. Maybe we see the Charlotte Hornets step up. I'm excited to see year two of LaMelo if Gordon Hayward stays healthy. That team's interesting. Um, you know, Each one of those teams have something that's worth talking about. Kemba going to New York, playing in the Garden, where he hit the famous Kemba step back for UConn over Syracuse in the Big Ten, the Big East tournament. You know, all of that stuff for, for the Knicks and, and what do they get out of some of their younger pieces? The Knicks were the most overachieving team in the league last year by far. Can Julius Randle be an all-star again? Can he replicate what he did? I, I think that's going to be the biggest, you know, sway here for what we see out of the Knicks. Kemba is not the Kemba that we're used to. And we'll, we'll see here moving forward, right? We will see how the Knicks look with Kemba, with Julius Randle. Does Obi Toppin take another step? Does R.J. Barrett? R.J. Barrett is quietly, I mean, at the kid's 20 years old, this is his third season, 
if RJ Barrett takes a step forward, you know, I, they could sneak in as a, maybe a six seed, right? Like, especially if one of those other teams, if something happens to Joel or something happens to Trey Young, if one of those other guys kind of gets hurt or if the, the heat experiment doesn't seem to work out with Kyle Lowry and Jimmy Butler, I could absolutely see the, the Knicks kind of sneaking up there, but I could also see the exact opposite, which is this just not working at all. Julius Randle has that one all-star season, never gets back there again. And then Kemba Walker is the Kemba Walker we saw last year, which is a guy who turned the ball over, missed a lot of shots, and kept getting hurt. So the Knicks have as much variance, I think, as, as pretty much anybody in all of the NBA. But it will be a, a fascinating team to watch moving forward. Uh, the Indiana Pacers, another team in this kind of middle ground, right? It's basically the same team. They got a new coach but in Rick Carlisle, but it's basically the same team. Right, you got Malcolm Brogdon. DeMontis Sabonis and Karis LeBert. What do you get? And you also have Miles Turner as well, but those are basically your guys for Indiana. And we'll see how Rick Carlisle does. Obviously he spent so many years in, in Dallas being a, a, a top level head coach. Um, but I don't know. It, it's going to be a really interesting team to follow only for the sake of they're interesting in this fact that they're not interesting, right? Like they're interesting in the fact that they've been the most arguably consistent team we've had over the last five years. And I love watching DeMontis Sabonis play. It's not the most exciting brand of basketball. For people who are really into basketball, you appreciate DeMontis Sabonis and what he can do. His ability to shoot, his ability to pass, as kind of even like an undersized big man. You know, he goes up against a guy like Embiid and holds his own on both ends of the floor. Well, maybe not defensively, but definitely on offense he can. And even going up against other centers, your Clint Capellas, right? Your, your average guys, even, you know, your Willie Colley Steins or, you know, pick your random big man in the NBA, DeMontis Sabonis torches those guys. And he does it with footwork. He does it with IQ. And he does it scoring, passing, off-ball movement, all that stuff. So Indiana, again, is they're interesting because they've just kind of been so consistent. And does Rick Carlisle come in and take this team kind of up a level to maybe, hey, maybe they sneak in to the top four in the Eastern Conference. Uh, Charlotte, I mentioned, you know, interesting team. Chicago is also an interesting team, right? They add all, they do all these changes. They trade out Laurie Markkinen. They bring in uh, DeMar DeRozan. They bring in Lonzo Ball. They have all these new kind of toys to go around Zach Levine. And now Zach Levine had an unbelievable year last year scoring the basketball, but I'm still a little hesitant on him. We saw him do things last year he never did before, which is be more of a playmaker. The effort he made on defense was something that we had never seen out of Zach Levine. And he's still not a great defender, but at least he's not a negative defender, which is kind of what he had been for the majority of his career. So if he can keep the scoring up, he's got unselfish guys around him. I'm curious to see how he and DeMar DeRozan play off of each other. Because to me, I don't know. I, I, think, I think it's a weird matchup. Uh, I think it's a weird combination of guys. DeMar DeRozan, if he's okay with just being like, hey, you know what, I'm going to take my – my 10 to 15 shots a game, I'm going to average 16 to 18 points a game. And if this is the Zach Levine show, great. But if DeMar DeRozan's like, hey, I'm going to take 25 to 30 shots a game. And now all of a sudden there's a, hey, we only got one ball here. We got two guys who neither one of them is really a, a, a pure playmaker. They're both scorers at heart. How does that work? And DeMar DeRozan still, I mean, he attacks you from the mid-range, which we saw this year with Chris Paul, isn't necessarily dead in the NBA, but is significantly harder to do and do while also being a championship contender. Uh, unless you're Chris Paul, who is a mid-range but also playmaker, DeMar DeRozan's not really that guy. And 
Zach Levine proved that he can score from every every spot on the floor. So for this team to work, Lonzo's got to run the point. DeMar's got to be cool taking, like I said, 10, you know, maybe 15 shots a game, I would say is like a really good number for him. And then everything else has got to run through Zach Levine. Everything else. So another another interesting uh, team there. Toronto, you know, Pascal Siakam had a down year last year, really regressed after being the most improved player the year before. They get Gorgon Dragic. They still have Fred Van Fleet. Um, yeah, I, uh, I have no idea what to make of Toronto. I like Nick Nurse. I think he's as good of a coach as there is in the NBA, especially when it comes up to, to scheming and X's and O's. But I, I, the talent just doesn't seem to be there. The, the front court, or the back court, rather, is, it's going to be tough to go up against. I mean, Goran Dragic still definitely has something left. And he and Fred Van Vliet, it's going to be an annoying kind of two natty players who are going to be swiping at you, find different ways to kind of get at you. That's going to be a tough, I think, tough team to go up against for most point guards. Um, and then OG Ananobi, he's the guy who needs to take a huge step forward too. And he's progressed every single year. Another developmental project that Nick Nurse and uh, uh, Asai, um, Masai, sorry, uh, their, their front office, their president, actually, I believe now, their um, president of basketball operations. You know, those are the way that they've been able to take Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, uh, even like Norman Powell, a lot of guys who were just un unsung guys and kind of developed them into uh, not only good players, but all-star players in some cases, uh, even Fred Van, Van Fleet, right? Like trusting him to go out and do that. They put their players in positions to succeed. I have them probably being seven or eight seed in a, or, or a play-in team here, but I'm just not going to discount Nick Nurse and, and what Masai and, and those guys up in Toronto have done. Um, the really bottom of the barrel teams, you're looking at Cleveland, you're looking at Detroit, and you're looking at Orlando, Washington Wizards as well. Now, Washington's got a ton of guys coming in, and this is just going to be the Bradley Beal show with all the Kyle Kuzma's there now. There's a bunch of other guys kind of hanging around in that zone. I, um, again, another another team that, like, I just have no idea what they're going to be. If Bradley Beal is in, incredible and all those other guys are able to kind of step up and fill some gaps, especially now that Russell Westbrook's gone, you know, Washington can be a decent team. I could see them as a play-in team, but I don't think they're going to, you know, be a real contender. And then, you know, those other teams are really young. Uh, I'm excited to see Jalen Suggs with all those bigs and, and him and Markel Fultz in uh, Orlando, see what they can kind of do. They're going to be just an interesting team in terms of young guys, developmental kind of guys. And then with Detroit, number one overall pick, Cade Cunningham, I'm really excited to see him in the NBA. I think the spacing in the NBA compared to what it was in college is going to free his game up to be really, really good. I think he should hands down be the pick for rookie uh, for yeah rookie of the year. And then the Cleveland Cavaliers, they also have an interesting team. I mentioned, you know, they went out and got John uh, Jonathan Allen a couple of years ago or Jared Allen, sorry, um, a year ago and in, in, in a trade. And now we're looking at Evan Mobley coming in as this, Big man kind of ha has handles, can kind of shoot a little bit, really, really stout defensive player. They're going to be a tough team to score against, I think. But Colin Sexton, Darius, Geis, uh, Darius Garland in the, in the backcourt, I mean, those two guys who we know can, can score. But Colin Sexton's just kind of a ball hog. Like, he's never seen a shot he didn't like. So, again, how those two continue to develop, I wouldn't be surprised if we get halfway through and Colin Sexton's one of those guys before his, you know, 
extension is due to be up next year that gets traded it gets moved to a new team uh you know a team trying to make a run it'll be uh, it'll be an interesting team to kind of follow um that's the eastern conference uh, we're gonna take a quick break come back we're gonna run through the western conference and uh we'll get you on your way here and, and get you ready for our friday pop the western conference it's a much different story than the east i said it before you know we're used to the western conference being the premier conference in the NBA between the two. It's been that way for years, like decades. And it doesn't feel that way right now. And a lot of that has to do with injury, right? Jamal Murray, he's likely not going to play this year. Kawhi Leonard, likely not going to play this year. We're coming off of a weird season where the Phoenix Suns go up against, you know, they knock out the Lakers in the first round and make a run all the way to the NBA finals, come up a little bit short. But there is no Spurs team. Right. In the past where you're like, oh, we can always count on the Spurs. I mean, just looking at it now and even Golden State has their question marks because Scotty was very wrong on Tuesday's pod. Clay Thompson is not playing uh, anytime soon. I think January is actually when they're expecting Clay Thompson to come back. But he's on. He, they say he looks good. They say he's on pace. Um, but the, the West just feels completely wide open. I think that's why so many people are favoring the Lakers, right? Because it's LeBron, it's AD. But then they bring in Russell Westbrook and Dwight Howard and Rajon Rondo. And they're just, they're an old, old, old team. The Los Angeles Lakers are. I, and, and look, maybe with, you know, the, the banged up Western Conference, the wide open West, maybe the Lakers will run through it. But they looked old and slow last night against Golden State. And Golden State has this great mixture of veterans, your Steph Curry's and Draymond's and even Andrew Wiggins at this point. And then your young guys, like Jordan Poole, come, you know, as a starter, right? Not showing that last year wasn't a fluke. I think the Golden State Warriors are probably going to end up as a top three seed this year. And the Lakers, look, with LeBron and AD, you can kind of pencil them in to be a top three seed. And then that third spot, I think you got to go with the team that won it last. You know, well, the third spot can either go to the Suns or the Utah Jazz. Remember, the Utah Jazz won a lot of games last year, a lot of games. Disappointing finish in the playoffs. Injuries didn't help. Donovan Mitchell was banged up. Michael, Mike Connolly was banged up. But this conference feels as wide open as any, and – for Golden State, it's what happens when Klay Thompson comes back. Because if Klay Thompson is, is, resembles the Klay Thompson we're accustomed to seeing, Golden State's going to be fine. And Golden State's going to win a lot of games. And with Steph Curry and how he carried that team to the play-in game last year, and then, you know, one, one game you lose and they're out, which sucked. I hated that. Um, Steph Curry is still at his, at his peak. Tail end of his peak, yes. But Steph Curry might, you know, mess around and win the MVP this year. And I think he's on a mission to prove some guys. And I think Draymond and everyone in that on that team, it's like, hey, this is this. We're going to prove that, you know, 2015, 2016 Golden State, like we're back. All right. We'd look different. We're a little older, got a little more gray hairs, but we're back. And so I, I think Golden State's going to be a really good team. The Lakers, I'll say this. I don't fully buy in to this team. All right. LeBron. And again, it's not because of LeBron, but it's hard not to look at LeBron's age and start to just wonder. And we all made this mistake with Tom Brady, and I get it. And LeBron takes better care of himself than anybody. But 
this is two or three years in a row now that LeBron's put a lot of miles on himself. He's played over 60,000 minutes, 60,000. It's him, Carl Malone, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Those are the only guys who have ever played that many minutes in the NBA. That has to take a toll at some point. His body's just not going to be able to recover in certain things as quickly. And I know the injury last year was kind of fluky with the high ankle sprain, but I'm just not sold that LeBron is going to be able to get through the whole season without injury. I'm definitely not sold on Anthony Davis, who's, what, 27? And he gets hurt constantly. Every other year, Anthony Davis has some sort of injury that's sending him out for the season. I'm, I just don't buy into that. As, as awesome as Anthony Davis is, I look around here. Russell Westbrook, their, their three best players are all injury have all had injuries in the last couple of years. And two of them, Russ and AD are injury prone. And I've, I did a whole diatribe on why Russell Westbrook is the least effective superstar we've ever had. He's unbelievable to watch. He's an unreal athlete, but his stats don't, uh, don't contribute to winning. They just don't. And yes, will he be able to fill in some of the gaps with LeBron when LeBron and AD are resting or they're on the bench? Yes, no question. But when all three of them are on the floor together in a tight game in the playoffs, I don't see how Russell Westbrook helps his team win. I don't. And I get that I'm as biased as anybody when it comes to Russell Westbrook. But I'm just not sold on the Lakers. I'm not. It's going to take a while. And look, I'm calling this now. There will be a stretch in the regular season where they look unbeatable. We saw it last year. But can they stay healthy? I mean, this, this team is old they can start applying for welfare if they want honestly like this team needs needs to find a way to stay healthy throughout the course of the season otherwise i don't think they have a chance to win to i don't say they don't have a chance they have lebron so they're always going to have a chance but if lebron goes down they're definitely screwed so for them lebron needs to be peak healthy LeBron. He's not going to be LeBron with Miami. He's not going to be LeBron with Cleveland, but if he can be the LeBron that they won the title with in the bubble. Yeah. They, they can win the title this year. I just, I personally don't see it and stay that for what it is. Um, some of the other teams here that I think are worth talking about Phoenix, right? How does Phoenix respond after losing uh, in, in the NBA finals or up to they blow the two Oh lead. And then back come the Milwaukee win four straight. It's over. It's done. Chris Paul, again, the biggest question with the, the Suns is health. You know, campaign's going to be able to hop in there every once in a while and, and, and kind of pick up some of the slack if Chris Paul gets hurt or Chris Paul is out. But again, come playoffs, Chris Paul needs to be healthy. And we saw that hand when Chris Paul got hurt. The series was over against Milwaukee. And they need Chris Paul to be fully healthy Chris Paul for the entire season. And how I, and Chris Paul is not a guy that's going to take time off either. Talk about miles and, and everything else and that, that's on his body. He's just not going to take that time off. And DeAndre Ayton made some incredible progress last year. He needs to continue to do that. They didn't give him the contract extension. They said, you know, they were going back and forth. They didn't give it to him. And so now he's like, all right, well, we're going to talk about it next offseason, which I like that approach as opposed to letting it drag into the regular season and throughout the whole season for, for that matter. But I think we see an inspired DeAndre Ayton playing for that contract that he feels he deserves. And we saw only one year of DeAndre Ayton being that guy. So I get the skepticism on the part of the Phoenix Suns, but that's also a notoriously cheap franchise. They did give money 
to Mikael Bridges that did give money to Landry Shamit, who they brought in. There are some pieces to this team, but it all revolves around Chris Paul. And if Chris Paul doesn't stay healthy, that team's going to be in trouble. Utah Jazz, we mentioned it. They have a bunch of pieces there, but Mike Connolly, is, and we found out, is a very important piece to that team. They have Jungle Juice, who we love. They have Bodanovich, who, or Bojanovic, one of the yitches, uh, who actually had somewhat of a down year for him last year in terms of the season. There's individual performances that were unbelievable. He's one of the best shooters in the NBA, and they have two of them, it's him and, and Joe Ingles. Those guys need to continue to be good. But this team has just continued to kind of show up flat in the postseason. And when they go up against, whether it was the Clippers, right, whether it was the Lakers, whoever they go up against in the playoffs, they need Donovan Mitchell to stay healthy. Donovan Mitchell has come up short in the playoffs. I've grown to really like Donovan Mitchell. For a long time, I said he's kind of the second coming of Russell Westbrook, and I do think there's some truth to that. But I think he's actually a better player, and I think he's still young and growing and tenacious on the defensive end. There's a lot of stuff I love about Donovan Mitchell. But for them to, again, kind of take that next step, they lost gorgeous Yang last year or from last year's team. He's now on the Sixers. Another good piece for the Sixers. They are a deep team. Quinn Snyder's a good coach. But we talked about this with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. We need to see that, like, sustainable superstar. Not just, hey, 40-point night here, 37-point night there. We need to see average 27 to 28 a game, be the guy, close out games, like that guy we saw when he and Jamal Murray were going back and forth. We need to see more of that on a regular basis, not necessarily putting up 50 every other night or anything crazy like that. But especially in the postseason, he needs to be that guy for this team to prove that they're not just a regular season team. Because I think what we ended up seeing is the Jazz were a really good regular season team, but in the playoffs, Rudy Gobert gets exposed. He gets exposed. And offensively, you can't really do a whole lot with them. You can't run the offense through them. And that's why it's going to fall more on the shoulders of Donovan Mitchell. Another interesting team here in the West, the Dallas Mavericks. The team itself is like Luka Doncic aside, the team itself is, is somewhat concerning. Um, they were smart. They got rid of uh, Josh Richardson, who, you know, for whatever it's worth, but they really didn't upgrade a whole lot anywhere else. Um, you know, they brought in Frankie smokes. I can't believe he's still in the league for them. It's the, the burning question is we know Luke is going to be amazing. Luke is going to have an MVP type season. He's going to put up ridiculous numbers, but for them, it's is Porzingis the unicorn still, is he still the Latvian unicorn that we all wanted him to be so badly back when he was with the Knicks. And he, I think, is starting to kind of find his role here, right? Because you have Dwight Powell, who when he's out there playing, you know, center, uh, or even Maxi Kleber as well, when you can have one of those guys kind of go out and be your center or Willie Cauley-Stein, Bobon's on that team too. I mean, this team has four centers on the roster, and then they have a couple other big men that can kind of play traditional center, to allow, at least on offense, to allow Porzingis to play that kind of roaming four who can pop and, and shoot and kind of make stuff for happen for himself. Kristaps and Luca have to figure out, hey, how do we maximize this? Because it's not quite as drastic. Because, like, on paper, he and Luca should, should work together. But it's kind of felt a little like Simmons and Embiid, where it's like, do these guys actually make sense together? And I'm not sure. And they go out and get Reggie Bullock, who had uh, a really, really good playoff run. 
Jalen Brunson is one of my favorite players in the NBA, not just because he's a Villanova guy. I genuinely love him. Uh, and then Tim Hardaway Jr. is a guy who's had a really nice run with them, and he had a great season last year. So if all the pieces come together, particularly Porzingis, and Luka's an MVP player, like the guy that we all think he, he is, well, we know he is. It's not that we think. It's just if he actually goes on and like wins the MVP this year, Dallas should be in the conversation for one of the top three teams in the Western Conference. And with Luka, you can beat anybody. I don't care if it's LeBron. I don't care who it is. But Luka Doncic as your best player and a scoring, talented version of Kristaps, the version we saw in the bubble there, that team is scared. Very scared. Um, the Denver Nuggets. Jokic coming off of an unbelievable season, was the MVP of the league. Deserved all of it because statistically he was on a whole nother level. Without Jamal Murray, I don't know how far the Denver Nuggets can realistically go, right? I, I think the, the Nuggets are a, a good team because they have Jokic, right? Like having Jokic is, is a massive, massive win. But without Jamal Murray, this team just doesn't quite have that other guy now the one argument you can make is michael porter jr who they gave his extension to and michael porter jr career shoots 44 percent from three which is a terrifying stat for a guy his size you know he was going to be the hands-down number one pick the year he was drafted but then he had all of these horrible medicals on him like the clipper all these other teams just like really down on michael porter jr because of his back situation only played i think six games maybe in college when he was at Missouri. Michael Porter Jr. has the potential to be a Kevin Durant-esque player. He doesn't have the handle that KD has, and he's not as tall. Michael, he's 6'10", so he's up there, but he's not the seven feet that, that KD is. But his range and ability to score the basketball is as good as anybody. If he takes a step defensively, and, and honestly can maybe create a little more on his own. Like I know that whole offense gets run through Jokic, but if he can do a little bit more offensively as a creator, you know, take over for what Jamal Murray kind of did for them, playing a little more pick and roll and that kind of stuff with Nikola Jokic, Michael Porter Jr. is the key for them to still be a, you know, four seed, maybe if they go absolutely bananas, a three seed. But I don't see that happening. I have them probably more in that six, five, you know, somewhere in that kind of range in terms of where do we see them ranked by season's end. Then we see a pretty steep drop-off, right? We have the Memphis Grizzlies, who were a team that people really, really loved last year. They came on strong. Uh, I, everyone loves John Morant, and I think he's kind of the, the trendy pick to be like, hey, who's the next young guy to take that next step? John Morant's a great, great player. They make some kind of odd trade with Valanchunas to get uh, our, our man Stephen Adams, who uh, one of the most likable players in the NBA from New Zealand. Uh, people love that guy. But – they're still young, you know, and again, another young guy on that team who's battled through some injuries, but we all, I think everyone kind of unanimously likes, we just haven't seen it all come together yet is Jaron Jackson Jr. And he's going to be completely healthy this year. So if he ends up being the guy who was a top six pick, I think he was drafted six overall, maybe it was five, but again, top end lottery guy. I think they can be a, I think they can be a good team. They have Kyle Anderson, who is the, uh, forget his nickname. It's like, something about slow because he's just he's so slow um but that back you know that backcourt of dylan brooks and john morant and dylan brooks technically is a, is a you know small forward i i see him more as a, as a you know as a two off of him um 
they go out and they draft Zaire Williams in the first round, a guy who I think a lot of people feel has really high upside, but for whatever reason kind of fell in the draft. Um, I, I really like that pick. He's a, another guy who they're going to have to kind of groom into it. Tyus Jones is a great backup point guard. And then Brandon Clark has shown some moments coming out of Gonzaga. When I got Jarrett Culver, who I really liked coming out of Texas Tech, but just has not been the guy that we all thought he was going to be. And, and I'd like to see him, you know, in a new setting with a young team that's not in Minnesota. Uh, you know, maybe he, you get something out of him. But this is a team that, again, like play in basically what they were last year. But we want to see just a little more consistency. They're, they're the Charlotte of, of the West, West Conference, right? They're young team, exciting players want to see them taste the playoffs like they did last year and hopefully you know maybe push a little bit they won that first game against utah and then lost four straight but that's neither here nor there um and look the rest of the western conference after that you have portland right you, you have to count in uh damian lillard because it's damian lillard and we've seen him be so good for so long but with everything circling around that team and him kind of being frustrated, they didn't, they brought in Larry Nance Jr. But other than that, they really didn't do anything to make that team significantly better. I think this is probably going to be the last year we see Dame with Portland, which is sad because there's so many great moments and, and he's made that team relevant for so long. Chauncey Billups, first time head coach. That's an interesting little wrinkle in there as well. CJ McCollum, hopefully staying healthy and, and kind of getting back to the CJ McCollum we saw a couple of years ago. Cause I still really like CJ, but you know, again, another, just another team will be in the storyline because Dame is just so freaking good. I love watching Damian Lillard play basketball. New Orleans, they're a dumpster fire right now, which is crazy because they have a guy who we all tabbed as a generational talent, and Zion is. He's a freak, but he's already hurt again. And, you know, he's our generation's Charles Barkley, which was the, the comp that everybody made. But the dude's got to lose some weight. He just he has to slim down. The amount of weight that he carries around playing at 280 at his side, you know, at 6'8, 280 is just, I know he's strong and massive, and maybe he can't throw down dunks the way that we like to watch him. But this team's going to, I just have no idea what they did. They brought in Valanchunas to say, oh, it's going to help stretch the floor a little bit with him that Steven Adams can do it. Valanchunas took like 23s last year. And yeah, he shot like 35% on him, but he took 23s last year. So let's not pretend that, you know, trading for Valanchunas is going to make you all of a sudden a, a spread out team that's going to help Zion. And Zion's not even going to be on the floor for this. I think the main storyline for them is, does Zion want to stay there by season's end? And will he end up signing his rookie extension when it comes due? Because he might be the first potential superstar to say no, because... I mean, the Pelicans, like, for what I've, from what's been reported, you know, that team's open for, for sale. You know, the entire team, not just, like, the players. I mean, like, they could change cities. Seattle might have a basketball team within the next few years, and it might be the New Orleans Pelicans. After that, it's a whole lot of nothing. The Clippers, again, no Kawhi. I have no idea what to expect out of them. They still have Paul George, but if Paul George is your – you're building a team around Paul George, you know, maybe good for a seven seed. That's probably it. And then it's just a bunch of young teams, Houston Rockets. They're going to be the worst team in the league. I think uh, Minnesota, maybe they sneak into the playoffs. I mean, you, this feels like a do or die year with Carl Anthony towns or else he's going to start to force his way out of Minnesota. Sacramento Kings haven't been in the playoffs in 15 years. Right now it's tied for the longest stretch ever for a team in a league where more than half the league gets into the playoffs. Um, please Minnesota get into the playoffs or at least the playing game. Just, Take a step forward. Carl Anthony Towns, you know, I know he's not great defensively, but 
the guy can score. And if you lose him, it's reset again for the Timberwolves, which is, which is brutal. San Antonio, no idea what to expect out of them. Uh, it could be a funky Popovich team that, you know, there's no real star on that team. Like, I don't, I don't think most basketball fans could name you five guys who play for San Antonio. I, I had to look up their roster to, to be like, oh, yeah, Kelton Johnson, DeJounte Murray, you know, Lonnie Walker. You know, but other than that, I mean, this team is whew, just – and then the last team here in the Western Conference is Oklahoma City who they'll be challenging the Houston Rockets for the worst team in, in the league, but they at least have some fun players, you know, uh, SGA. I love watching him play. And I think a lot of people should, you know, tune on because they have some funky pieces to them. You know, Sam Presti's the king of just boomer bust draft picks and Hey, oh, that didn't work. Well, we have another thousand draft picks we can use. And so I'll flip on a couple of Oklahoma city games just for the hell of it. Because again, there are, there are really, really interesting team well interesting being in that i don't quite understand what is going to happen every time you turn on one of those games so all right y'all that's all i got for the uh preview um appreciate y'all for for hanging in there will be another pod going to record on thursday night get you ready for week seven in the nfl week eight in college football can't believe we're already at this point but goes quick i say it every week so enjoy the rest of your week hope you guys enjoyed this and we will talk to you guys then take it easy everybody